Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Well, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. My name is Stephanie. I am an expert fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist, and of course, your host. And today's podcast is proudly brought to you by a brand new free live training happening on Tuesday, the 14th of September, and Thursday, the 16th of September, about the top five diet mistakes to avoid if you have endometriosis and you're trying to conceive. So registration is essential and spots do fill quickly. So if you are ready to avoid these top five nutrition mistakes that I see endo warriors make time and time again, be sure to save your spot using the link in the show notes. And I can't wait to see you there. If you do join me live, I'll be bringing you a brand new free seven-day endo meal plan complete with recipes as well. So just as a little gift from me to you uh, for your time. So head on over, click the link below, register, and I can't wait to see you there. Now on to today's episode. Today's episode is a Q&A episode. So I have this idea to collate some of your questions from Instagram. If you don't follow my endo-focused account, it's endo.dietitian with T's. And I put this out there um, a little while ago and got a bunch of great questions, um, some of which I have not addressed on the podcast before. So I thought I would group them all together today and do a Q&A episode on all things nutrition and endometriosis. If this is not relevant to you, don't worry. I am going to do a very similar episode on fertility nutrition shortly. So stay tuned for that. Let's see how we go for time, but I've written your questions down and ready to address them. So one of the top questions I got is, what is the best diet for endometriosis? So I actually have a really great blog post that summarizes the pros and cons of some of the most common dietary types that are recommended for those of us with endometriosis. And I guess the best diet is the one that works for you. And that could be, you know, something that doesn't really have a label. It's not a vegan diet or a vegetarian diet or a Mediterranean diet or an anti-inflammatory diet or an endo diet, which by the way, doesn't really mean anything, doesn't really exist, um, or a gluten-free diet or a dairy-free diet. So all those things can potentially help you, but it is what helps you. So in my you know, to keep this answer really short, in my opinion, the best diet is the one that works for you in terms of how you feel it's helping support your body in terms of energy levels, how you're feeling, your pain, um, your lab work, all those things are really important to take into account. So definitely don't feel any pressure that there is a single best diet for endometriosis because it's absolutely not true. I'll leave the link to that blog post in the description as well for you to check it out. And I 
I think this is one of the common traps that we fall into because a lot of the questions I got was, what is the best of X, Y, Z? Um, and so we don't always need to be focusing on what the gold standard best is. Whilst that can be a great guide, what we need to be working on is exploring what works for us. In, as individuals. And we know that endometriosis presents uniquely in each of us in terms of the way it affects our bodies and our lives. So why would our nutrition be all the same? A great rhetorical question. It's a podcast, Stephanie. No one's going to answer you, but you get, you get my point. <laughs> the next question I got is in the same vein, what is the best diet for inflammation? So when we talk about inflammation and endometriosis, as we know, endo is a chronic inflammatory condition. So we need to be thinking about dietary pattern. So what is happening over longer stretches of time? And unfortunately, we do sometimes zoom in a little bit too much and focus on single foods. So, oh, is my almond milk inflammatory? Oh, is my um, bread inflammatory? Is my is eating an apple inflammatory. I've heard all of these um, from clients and also from um, those of you who follow me on Instagram, my DMs. And the thing is, I don't give a good answer because it requires a lot more context than just that single food. What we do know is that diets that are rich in healthy fats and fruits and vegetables and antioxidants are going to generally be favorable when it comes to inflammation. And then there's going to be certain foods that may be potentially inflammatory to you. So for example, if you have celiac disease and you've been diagnosed with that, gluten is particularly inflammatory to you as an example. So there is a little bit of uniqueness there, but there are some general principles around eating sufficient fruits and vegetables, eating oily fish and optimizing your omega-3s that can help support your body when it comes to inflammation. Now, the next question is about a vegan or vegetarian diet and how to make this work while still implementing those principles around inflammation in particular. The good news is if you're following a vegan and vegetarian diet and you are eating mostly whole foods, as in, you know, a packet of chips is also vegan or vegetarian. Um, <laughs> but if you're eating a dominantly whole foods-based diet with lots of plants and still incorporating your healthy fats and having plant-based sources of protein such as legumes and beans and tofu, if you're vegan or vegetarian, and if you're lacto-over-vegetarian, including things like eggs and cheeses and so on, those things are are naturally going to be helpful when it comes to supporting diet and inflammation because you're going to be reducing your total saturated fat intake from animal products. And that seems to be favorable when it comes to endometriosis. As well, if you're doing it really well, you should be having an abundance of fruit and vegetables and whole grains and legumes and beans and nuts and seeds and so on. On the flip side, however, the key nutrients that can be lacking are things like omega-3s, which are really powerful when it comes to managing inflammation for endo. So we want to consider how we're going to replace this key nutrient. Unfortunately, plant-based sources of omega-3s such as chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, um, 
are forms of ALA omega-3, which is not very well converted into EPA or DHA, which is the form that's found in oily fish such as salmon. So you're only looking at about a 4 to 12% conversion there. So it's not a lot. So we're going to have to either consider um, other alternatives to get those omega-3s in, which typically is a vegan or vegetarian suitable uh, omega-3 supplement. However, obviously, um, you need to talk to your own healthcare provider about what's right for you. The next question is about regular versus organic produce. This is a fantastic question and one that I um, address in depth in the Get Pregnant with Endo platform. For those who don't know, Get Pregnant with Endo is my signature endometriosis and fertility online program, and I believe it is the most comprehensive uh, set of information about endometriosis and nutrition that's backed by science. It's broken down into six modules, getting to know your endometriosis, inflammation, hormones, gut health, including uh, management of IBS, and then how to make it work for you, gaining freedom, social situations, and so on, and then a whole bunch of other bonus goodies as well. And I missed the fertility module. That was very silly of me. Module five is about fertility. (laughs) So in the lessons, I do talk about organic produce and I'll give you the abbreviated version. So there is some research to suggest that particularly digoxins, which are a chemical that's found in some pesticides that's used on our fresh produce, such as our fruits and vegetables, has been linked with um, endometriosis in terms of developing endometriosis and therefore potentially exacerbating endometriosis or worsening the presentation. Now, naturally, you know, if we could all go into a bubble free of any kind of endocrine disrupting chemical, not a single plastic or pesticide, you know, we'd all be signing up for that. But we live in a real world and it is imperfect and we are going to come into contact with these things almost every day. And that can be really overwhelming to think about and stressful. So I encourage you, if you haven't listened to the episode about toxins and fertility with Lucy Lines, I'd really, really recommend that you go back and listen to that episode because she does an excellent job of raising awareness about EDCs and how to manage it without contributing to your stress, which obviously can independently be problematic for our health. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. So back to the organic produce versus conventional. So obviously organic produce is going to have significantly less digoxins and therefore potentially be better from an endometriosis perspective. However, clinically, we know that Organic produce is going to be better in that particular circumstance. But on a practical level, let's have a conversation about Not everyone can afford organic produce, and that is okay, okay, because I think there is an incredible amount of pressure, especially as females, that we need to be doing everything right, and we can't ever be doing the wrong thing, and if we do, it's our fault that we didn't know it sooner, and I think we need to move away from that idea and go, We're doing the best that we can with the information that we have and the resources we have in this moment in time. And if you don't have the financial resources to be spending on organic produce, that's totally fine. I don't want you to stop eating fruit and vegetables. What I want you to do is I want you to just do a bit of a good scrub of your fruit and veggies when they come home in a bit of baking soda because that seems to reduce pesticide load a little bit. And don't compromise on the volume of your fruit and vegetable intake if you're going organic because you can't afford to buy more. So I don't want you to, I guess, compromise on volume to get an organic alternative, for example. 
So, yes, in, in short, organic produce is probably better for those with endometriosis, but it shouldn't come at the cost of volume or creating any kind of financial or other stress in your life, then it's absolutely not worth it. Okay, next question. Should we be following a similar diet if we have adenomyosis and not endometriosis? So for those who don't know, adenomyosis is kind of like the cousin of endometriosis or the stepsister. Um, I always visualize the um, the step the stepsisters in, I think it's Cinderella. I think I have one of those memes on my Instagram page somewhere. It's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> if you don't laugh, you cry. I always say that. So yeah, I mean, adenomyosis is where you are getting... Um, a kind of growth of tissue back into the uterine wall, the muscle layer in particular, um, and it can create what's often phrased, especially on ultrasound reports, as a bulky uterus. And unfortunately, with adenomyosis, you can't excise it because obviously that would create um, compromise in the uterine wall. So um, the only management for adenomyosis from a medical perspective beyond medications and so on tends to be a hysterectomy, which is obviously counterproductive when it comes to trying to carry your own baby. Obviously not so much if you're using a gestational surrogate, but pretty important if you would like to carry your own baby. So when it comes to adenomyosis, unfortunately, A, it's incredibly underdiagnosed. B, we don't know much about it as a disease itself. And C, that means we barely have, you know, sufficient data, in my opinion, about endometriosis. So if we extend that out to adenomyosis, there's certainly not much research when it comes to diet and adeno. However, given that the I guess the nature of the condition can be similar in terms of its inflammation and its symptom profile that it can create. I do tend to use the same dietary strategies for endo as adeno. And I often find a lot of my clients who have adenomyosis also have endometriosis. So um, I guess that is also another reason why we do that. So yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we just need people to actually pay attention to adenomyosis as a disease first and foremost in um, the medical research. And then hopefully the nutrition research can come alongside it and um, give us some more information. The next question, what are the best tips post-op? So again, I have an excellent checklist for pre and post-op strategies, both from a diet and just also just general lifestyle strategies um, inside the Get Pregnant with Endo course platform. Um, But just to give you a few off the top of my head, um, my best tips are bring a pillow to the hospital with you to take home so you've got something between your seatbelt and your belly um, so it doesn't hurt your incision sites. Um, Make sure that you've got some high-fiber fruits um, and veggies at home that you tolerate. So I had lots of pears and tinned peaches and plums. Um, Those things will help relax your bowel so you can go for a number two after surgery because you can get quite constipated from the pain medication and not moving around as much. Um, Keep your fluids up and uh, make sure you're eating sufficient protein-rich foods to help support wound healing as well. Um, You may require some laxative support um, just temporarily after surgery if you're having a really hard time opening bowels because it's really painful to try to strain because it's going to hurt your abdominal muscles, which have just been cut into with a laparoscopy. Um, 
to go number twos. So definitely suggest having some of that stuff around just in case you need it. And if you're really struggling, consult with your surgeon about uh, what to do. All right, we're on to our last question. We're doing pretty good for time. So is daily bloating normal even when it's not near your period? The answer is no. Whilst common, it's not normal and we shouldn't be normalizing it. Depends on the severity of the bloating, however. So I'll just double back on myself there. In the sense that we, when we wake up in the morning versus when we go to bed, our stomach should not look the same. Okay, because obviously we've drank water, we've eaten food up to, you know, one to two kilograms worth of food throughout the day. Naturally, we are going to not look the same all day long. That is normal. And we need to have that normalized first and foremost. However, if we're talking about, you know, more than that, like more than normal bloating, then and that's consistent every day, then I would say that's something worth investigating. Now, the first thing that we tend to do when we have endometriosis is blame whatever's happening in our bodies on that diagnosis. And you know what? That's fair. I hear you. I'm right there with you. But it's really, really important to rule out any other potential causes of that symptom because guess what? Many of us live with more than one condition and it's so important that we don't let it fly under the radar and have something more sinister or that requires a different treatment strategy fly completely, you know, unchecked under the radar because we're going, oh yeah, it's just normal to have bloating because I have endo. Okay, we need to make sure that you don't have inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, which come with another subset of symptoms too. We need to make sure that you don't have celiac disease, which we know that 17% of the population with endometriosis um, has celiac disease compared to 1% in the general population. We need to make sure that it's not you know, potentially irritable bowel syndrome, which we know 50% of those with endometriosis also have irritable bowel syndrome. We need to make sure it's not small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO, which we know potentially people with endometriosis are much more likely to have. So all those things need to come into play. And we also need to factor in non-dietary factors because the number one thing is, oh, it's something I'm eating that's causing me to bloat. And that could absolutely be true, but we need to zoom out and have a think about, is it around fluid? Is it around coffee? Is it around alcohol? Is it around um, uh, when we're really stressed or feeling down or all those factors do come into play? Is it because you're not eating all morning and then having lunch and then wondering why you're so bloated because there's been nothing in your tummy all day and now all of a sudden there's a big meal in there and there's a lot of work for your gut bacteria to do to chew through all that fiber? Is it because you're a vegan or vegetarian, you've recently just transitioned to eating more plants and so your body's adapting to the amount of fiber that's going in? It may not be one specific food or even a group of specific foods. It could be a number of those factors. And I find when working with individuals, it is oftentimes more than one of those things at play. And that's what makes it tricky to unpack, uh, particularly on your own, if you don't know what you're looking for. All right. That is a wrap on all those questions that you submitted to me via my Instagram page at endo.dietitian. Thank you so much for those of you who sent me your questions. I hope this episode has been useful for those who both asked the questions and those who are just tuning in. I know these are 
really common questions that are on many people's minds. So I hope this has been helpful for you. Don't forget to save your seat to the upcoming live masterclass training that I'm hosting on Tuesday, the 14th of September and Thursday, the 16th of September. I'm doing one at 7 p.m. Sydney time on Tuesday and the other at 10 a.m. Sydney time on Thursday. So hopefully that suits those of you who are overseas to join me live. And if you do join me live, you'll be receiving a seven-day endometriosis meal plan with recipes. If you do want the recording, though, you still need to register. So really important that you save your seat. The link is in the show notes below. I'll catch you in the next episode, everyone. Bye. (laughs) 